there's also that realization that this digital economy is big enough for everyone. And so there is definitely an increasing recognition of the importance of having local or as some people call them indigenous technological type of tools and innovation coming out of the Google South. Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects and challenges of technology in the Global South through the voices of experts in and from the Global South. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Elena Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Murdehi Makumani, who is presently a researcher with the Security and Technology Program at the United Nations Institute for Disarmament Research, or UNIDIR. Fun fact, prior to joining UNIDIR, Murdehi was South Africa's senior advisor in the United Nations Group of Governmental Experts and negotiator in the UN Open-Ended Working Group on Security of and in the Use of Information and Communications Technologies. Madehi, welcome. You've spoken out about the reality of underrepresentation in global conversations and headlines on cyberspace and technology, underrepresentation of gender, of race, and of developing countries. We're leaving out half the world's population when it comes to gender. And more than that, when it comes to the developing world, 80% of the world currently lives outside the US and China, according to US figures. And by the turn of the century, 90% will live in Asia and Africa. And yet we hear so little about the tech priorities for this majority beyond a geopolitical framing of technology and strategic rivalry. So as a South African who's represented South Africa at these UN discussions on cyber, can you tell us, in your view, what are the most pressing technology priorities for South Africa and, if you like, for Africa at large? Thank you so much for having me, Elena. This is such a fantastic initiative, and I'm really excited to weigh in on these particular issues um, around what is happening in my own country as well as the region. Um, And I think when we talk about technology, sometimes um, there's there's a bit of a tendency to also make it really narrow um, and to not explore the different areas of it. So I try to look at technology in the developing setting, looking at who are the actors, what are the tools, Um, And what are we trying to achieve with that technology? Um, And for South Africa, at least, there's been a huge emphasis on priorities in terms of what we want to achieve. Um, And that is a safe transition to the digital economy. Um, And that would take a wide range of tools and involve a wide range of actors. But that as an as a goal is something that is very important for for South Africa. But then the other thing is also bridging the digital divide. And like you said, the majority of the population lives outside of the big 
sort of countries that you mentioned. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of them are still not connected to the internet. And so internet connectivity is, is a big priority for countries like South Africa, especially as we move to the digital economy. You are going to need people to have jobs and um, create employment in that digital economy. And then um, I think at a regional level, the African Union and its member states have what we call the Africa Continental Free Trade Area. And that is a big priority for all AU member states at the moment to make that free trade area work. And part of making it work is for everyone to transition to that digital economy and to be able to leverage um, e-commerce and everything else that comes with connectivity. And that means no one can be left behind. And so there's a big priority and investment in making sure that all the countries at least reach a, a benchmark where we can trade with each other safely and and efficiently. And so I think just those three would be the priorities. But there's also there's also a fourth one, which is about creation and design of local technological tools, um, which is something that is primarily still done at a at a very small medium enterprise level. Um, they are creating the apps and other type of, of tools. But there is increasingly a realization that if the whole world is going to be moving to digital economies, um, including our countries, it shouldn't just be, we shouldn't just be a platform for the global north's tools, but we should also have tools, have skin in the game, um, if I can put it that way. And so there's also that realization that this digital economy um, is big enough for everyone. And so there is definitely an increasing recognition of the importance of having local or as some people call them indigenous technological type of tools and innovation coming out of the global south. Great. Can you talk a little bit about specific efforts, particularly in South Africa, to meet the challenges of these priorities? You mentioned um, some AU initiatives, but can you unpack some specific details about these efforts um, to address these challenges? South Africa has a vibrant financial system, a vibrant economy that is quite advanced on the continent. Um, and because of that, we in, attract a lot of investors, including now into the technological space. And so, for instance, around sometime last year, there was a launch of the data centers, for instance, that are going to be in South Africa. And that is part of the initiatives to grow the industry, as well as to make the technological field and the technological sector a viable area for every South African by having it so close. Um, but we also have we also have a lot of of hubs um, that the line departments have invested in for innovation. Um, and a lot of research and development is also coming out um, of South Africa. We South Africa houses the SKA satellite 
which serves the region um, in terms of, of research. And, and so in terms of investment in the future, that's what we've got. Um, but we also have a lot in, of investment into technological SMME sector um, type of, and so that is that would be duly run by line departments like the Department of Communications and Technology, um, but also by Department of Science and Technology as well as the Department of Trade and Industry. So the digital. Um, evolution in South Africa is really part of what is a priority for government. And a couple of years ago, the president had had put together a commission um, for the fourth industrial revolution um, for IR to understand what the lay of the land was, um, both in terms of policy and legislation, to understand where South Africa really stood and what we had to leverage, what was available and what we still needed to invest in. And a lot of those recommendations, as some are already being implemented, um, a lot more still need to be implemented. But those are some of the on the ground type of initiatives that we've got to really meet those priorities. And then, you know, we've got our international partners um, and our trilateral partners like the BRICS, with which we have um, different type of forums to discuss issues around technology, research and development, academia, all different streams under that particular agreement. And all of that is just testament to the kind of efforts that are being made to really meet these priorities. But of course, a lot a lot still needs to be done, including just implementing some of the recommendations that are coming out of the research and the policy discussions. I'm glad you brought up the BRICS. Um, I was wondering if you could offer some of your thoughts on closer South-South cooperation. This used to be a, a popular tagline a few decades ago, and then it fell out of trend. Do you think there's an argument to bring this back? Um, because you've probably seen statements by the non-allied movement countries at UN discussions on cyber. You know, Are we seeing a resurgence of some of these developments that we saw in the past and then that died off over the decades? Unfortunately, not. I'll say that. And, and I'll say that because although we say these things in statements, what is still lagging behind is institutionalization of the very topic within the South-South institutions that exist. And that for me is, is one area that I think as the Global South we haven't paid enough attention to. Um, so, I mean, if you look at NM Communique, there are a lot of issues there with regards to cyber and data and technology and um, transfer of, of technology and resources and donors and beneficiaries. It's there in the communique, but who is implementing it? You know, um, that's my question. And then when it comes to the BRICS, the BRICS have a bank, right? 
And when that came out, I remember reading a very interesting article probably in 2012, 2013, um, about how, how the bank was going to do financing differently from you know, the Bretton Woods institutions type of, and everyone was very excited. Have we had similar discussions about the bank with regards to technological investment in developing countries? No, but it's not because the working groups aren't there. They're there and there are experts in these working groups that talk about, let's do this technologically. Let's, let's look at things this way. This is what the South has to offer. But we, I find we talk about what the South has to offer more with the global North than amongst ourselves, um, especially when it comes to implementation. And, you know, if the BRICS and the BRICS Bank want to invite us, um, Elena, let's go and we can give a presentation. Um, the same for the Office on South-South Cooperation. Um, yes, this is not agriculture. This is not health. This is not sanitation. But... For the world that we are transitioning into, this is going to become an important anchor or part of of the bones of those kind of industries. And we need to start having those kind of conversations now. So very often in the media headlines, we hear technology conversations being framed against the US-China technological rivalry. And we've talked a little bit about this need for greater institutionalization, greater leadership of South-South cooperation. Is there a way that countries that are caught between this US-China technological rivalry, most of them in Asia and Africa, is there a way to leverage on that rivalry or at least to avoid being squeezed by that rivalry in order to advance our own digital agendas to our benefit and in the context of what our countries need themselves? There's there's an African proverb that when two elephants fight, the grass suffers. And I've probably heard that more times um, in the past three to four years than when I joined the civil service in 2011 on any issue. And from where I sit, I think this field, um, the technological field by its nature, I think offers the the grass, the countries, um, more bargaining power than we've had in other fields um, when it comes to, to the rivalries. And that's because probably for the first time in a long time, there are other players in the game. But at the same time, there's also enough to maintain existing alliances by giving out smaller bits in in terms of this field. So for instance, one of our big partners um, invests in infrastructure, as I'm sure they invest in infrastructure in many other countries. Um, So it's technological infrastructure, um, but it's also supported by, by skills and roads and schools and hospitals. So it's a full package. And I remember there was a big thing, books were written about the scramble for Africa. And when we started seeing more of it move towards technology, then 
other countries wanted to come in. But what we haven't done really well is to just say, stop. This is, this is not like when we had the structural adjustments. This is very, very different. I think we can afford to say, stop. This is what we need. This is what we want. And if you can't give us this, then we can continue with this partnership, but on this, we'll continue with someone else. Um, and that, I think, is, is something that not a lot of governments have been able to say. And it's, it's also the same for even how we've, I think, reacted to even the private sector um, coming from the same countries. We hold them almost to different standards as opposed to holding the private sector to private sector standards, which sometimes they set themselves with really high standards. But we don't hold them to those standards. Um, and I think we've really played with the bargaining power um, that this field gives us. Of course, without, without ruining anything that exists, um, there are no enemies in international relations, um, but we, we can do a lot more. So this question of agency that you brought up, Mudihi, I think is a really important one. And it's one that is not very well embraced, as you pointed out, uh, not only in your part of the world, but also in mine, in Asia. And I think this is something that we have to take very seriously moving forward. But you, I want to circle back to what you said earlier about indigenous technologies that are homegrown, because this plays into the bargaining power that you also talked about. And I know that some African scholars have talked about introducing traditional concepts to evolving technologies like AI. For example, introducing the concept of Ubuntu in algorithmic training. And I wanted your thoughts and observations on whether you think the way we conceive of design and deploy technology should be rethought, really deconstruct this whole thinking about technology instead of what we have now and reshape technology in our own images, if you will. Are, are there prospects for this and are there lessons that might be drawn from the Global South writ large? It's definitely an, an interesting concept of reimagining it in that way. Um, and I think it's, it's part of this idea of wanting technology, not just for us, but by us, designing it to local circumstances and conditions. And it's, for me, it's, it's a balance. It's definitely a balancing act of, is it by us, for us, or is it by us to the world? And I think some, sometimes I don't really get where our priority is in terms of that. Um, because I'll, I'll tell you what would be a real benefit to the world is if it was by us for the world, then we can export Ubuntu um, through everything and not just the lineards and the books. Um, but in technology that, that is human-centric, 
Um, Because essentially that is what Ubuntu is. I am because you are, you are because I am. Um, And exporting that principle through locally developed technological tools that I think would be a gift to the world. But we also have to balance that with our business practices, right? Because we aren't exporting something local in a narrow, locally inclined type of economy. It is a big multicultural economy. And how, and how we export values like that is, is something that I personally also grapple with to really understand how that would work. But I've seen it work really well in the local context when you have locally designed technology. It works amazingly. For instance, and this is a really small example, Elena, something like, you know, the mobile swiping machines. We've had a boom of those in South Africa and they are locally created And what that means is it's affordable even for the street hawker to be able to have something like that, which allows a banked citizen to engage in a transaction with someone who is sometimes unbankable, to be able to do that kind of transaction, which are small things, but that's how you introduce people into a digital economy and make it accessible so that it doesn't look like it's just something for certain people and not for others. But I'm I'm also always fascinated on the continent by what countries like Kenya have done, um, the Silicon Savannah. And it's the ingenuity and the ability to attract investment into local hubs, but also the legislative provisions and the policy provisions to also attract global companies into an African country like that. That is something that I find very, very interesting. And those kind of business models and innovation and ingenuity and think local and think global at the same time, uh, I think what we need to be having more conversations about. What is it? Create local, think global. Yes, that's that's the one. Yes, that I think is what we should be investing more in um, when we think design, construction, and deployment. Create local, but think global. Another country that is also very interesting for me is Rwanda that has also grown in leaps and bounds in terms of their tech hub um, and the kind of expertise that they're able to also attract and the investment in growing their own expertise, um, I think is something that is also very, very interesting for me. And, you know, it it comes up to those basics again. Um, it's about good policy, good laws, and, again, using that bargaining power to not have fly-in, fly-out type of experts, but to grow your own experts um, in-house, have your own people train your own people, um, to have the skills circulation, you know, and the Think Global part is more than just exporting a product, um, but it's also about looking at the skills issue in terms of 
skills circulation instead of a skills drain. So when a qualified South African me um, gets to work for an international company and say I moved from Pretoria and moved to to Geneva, um, it's not a drain. Let's look at it in terms of circulation because six out of 10 times, something will take me back home. Um, and that is that is a skill that I can impart. So so I, I think I yeah, I think that that would be my my input on this one. Create local, um, think global, and everything across the board, design, construction, deployment, and most importantly, skills. You know, we've merged in my country, Malaysia, this think local at global uh, into one word, and we call it global. So I, that could be something as well. <laughs> that, that is, and, and you know, it's, it's um, a lot of times um, I, I've seen, for instance, in South Africa, when, when a big concept comes up, we're always thinking, what is the South African approach? to this issue? How do we look at it through the lens of Ubuntu? How do we look at it through the lens of um, our triple challenges? And global is, is something that could be how the global South looks at certain issues, you know, a global South approach, um, global, and really you know, use it, use it to use it to really be a concept that that means a lot in terms of of policy, um, local and foreign policy to to really start to build this thing um, so that it doesn't become an all consuming thing for us, but something that we can actually leverage for for our own countries. But yeah, here. Africa is often thought of as this robust, dynamic, exciting continent. And just our conversation alone today, I think, has really borne that out, particularly with your perspectives and insights. So I'm very grateful for your time sharing your comments and observations with us. And I hope that the Global South can get its act together and act on this global concept and um, hopefully we'll both be able to go to the BRICS and have a presentation for them. Oh yes, oh yes. When, when we launch the podcast, um, let's tag them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Madihi. Thank you so much, Helena, for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful. This podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.